All right. It's just me and the brethren now. And the Lord. We're all here as we conclude this final night of this gospel meeting that has been nothing short of amazing, blessed, and quite edifying. I want to thank each and every person who participated, even if it's just being here in any capacity. It's such a blessing that we all can come together to make something awesome like this happen. And now I'm about to do my part. And so I've been charged with the last sermon for the sermon series that we have here in this gospel meeting. It's my responsibility to close the show. And what a way to close this meeting, but with love. That's how a lot of letters end. Love, comma. And so this meeting will end in the same way, with love. Ephesians 4 contains several qualities a Christian's walk should exemplify. The final quality in that list, in which we're about to read together in just a moment, if you'll be turning over there to Ephesians chapter 4, is love. Now, as many of you could imagine, when I received the charge and the assignment to preach about love, I encountered some difficulties. In fact, I struggled quite a bit with this sermon. You know, I I struggled with the very beginning of the sermon. It was hard for me to even get anything onto the page. And why is that? If most of you are familiar with my preaching style, you know that most of my introductions consist of a personal story or an anecdote that helps me springboard into the lesson because I like to kind of ease into it and get get into some personal stuff that happens so that we can relate a little bit. Well, with this lesson... I was thinking and I was thinking and I was scratching my head. And I really, despite all the love that I've been shown in my life, I just couldn't find just the right introduction for the lesson. And so, man, over the last month or so, I was just pouring over, what am I going to do for this introduction to this lesson? And I drafted several of the points and whatnot, but I just couldn't come up with a good introduction. And I was praying to the Lord, what, what, what am I going to do, Lord? Help, help, me, help me have an epiphany for this introduction. And so that epiphany came, but not in the way that I necessarily wanted it to. See, I was heading southbound on I-75 after visiting Annie from Cincinnati. So I'm, I'm driving in my Honda, which, as some of you may recall, was a bit of a sloppy jalopy, as some would say, eh? I mean, you could hear the thing a mile away going, but I trusted her, and she let me down, okay? I'm driving down I-75, like I said, southbound. And she starts chugging a little bit more than normal and knocking a little bit more than normal. And I'm thinking, you know what? I'm headed back down to Richmond. I've got about 20 minutes left in this drive. I think I can just push it and I can just make it. But then this check engine light starts flashing. And the whirring of the engine starts increasing more and more until it's deafening. And my car, I can feel it starting to lock up. And before I know it, I'm having to squeal to a stop. Over on the left shoulder, man, cars are whizzing by me super fast, and I'm in a state of veritable hysteria. I, I, I am in a state where I knew that this day was coming with the old Honda. You all knew it was coming, hearing the thing. But this was not a great day coming, as the hymn goes. This was, this was just a sad day coming. I was sitting here, and I was sitting in the car, and I was thinking, what am I going to do? My head in my hands, I was praying. And I was calling brethren, anybody I could think of that could help me out. And many people did help me with things, the towing, giving me a ride back to Richmond. But I called our very own Josh McKibben because I knew that he had something that he could offer me. Something that Josh has offered me time and time again. He's been such a great mentor. He offered me his truck. (laughs) If you guys have seen that little truck, um, you know what I'm talking about. It's like a spare vehicle that he had that had been passed down to him. And he offered it to me if I ever 
you know, if the day came that the Honda was going to break down, because Josh, you knew the Honda was going to break. We all knew the Honda was going to break down, okay? And sad to say, his brother beat me to it. His brother had had a similar issue, and so the truck was nowhere to be found. So what happened? I was I was left with again with my head in my hands, and Josh said, "Hold on, I'm gonna send out an email to the congregation." And I knew something was gonna happen from that. I, I knew that something would happen. I I thought what was gonna happen is. I, I was going to get a call from Josh, which I did, and he was going to drive me down to Somerset, which he did, and I was going to pull up in somebody's driveway, and they were going to say, here's my old 1997 Toyota Corolla. I hope it'll last you the next couple weeks till you find a vehicle. That's what I thought was going to happen, and I was blessed at that thought. Man, I was, yes, I want to drive that 1997 Toyota Corolla, but instead we end up at a dealership, and I'm driving off the lot in that nice Ford Fusion that y'all see outside. And why is that? Well, that's because several brethren... From here, pulled together, and they rallied together, and they literally all chipped in and they bought me a car. I cannot describe the gratitude that I felt. You have no idea what that means to me. I grew up, I had nothing. And y'all are my family. That's all I can say. And that showed me love. And you gave me not just a car, but also a fantastic introduction to this sermon about love. (laughs) Am I right? And so, and not only that, something even greater, a spiritual gift, a lesson, a lesson about charity. Because I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking, man, no matter how much I work for these people, I can never earn, I can never show back that kind of love and that kind of kindness. But I'm going to try. And I mean I'm going to try right now, because you guys gave me a strong lesson about love, so what do I have for you? Take a swing. I'm going to bring you the strongest lesson about love that I can. You didn't just give me that physical gift of that car. You gave me a lesson about love. And I'm here to return the favor. So let's just get into it. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3. Paul says, I'm, I'm sure we're pretty familiar with this at this point. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, at this point in this meeting, we've been acquainted with all of these characteristics of the Christian walk that lead up to this statement, in love. And I think that there's so much value in all of these things, like, the, the preaching of the brothers up till this point has been phenomenal, and I'm grateful for that, and I've been edified by that. And as Josh said, I've been hit square between the eyes again and again by these lessons, because these are all qualities that I need to work on. But ultimately, I'll put forward to you this. Without love, none of these, as Mitchell has said, and, and as other brothers have said, none of these are going to culminate. We must have the love of God to obey Him properly with the right spirit and the right heart and to give to one another. we got to put it out there. And what does that look like? Well, that means that I, I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to be loving the Lord while I'm doing that. While I'm coming out of bed, I'm going to be loving the Lord. While I'm making my breakfast, I'm going to be loving the Lord. While I'm getting in the car to go to work or school or church or wherever I'm going, I'm loving the Lord while I'm doing that. At home with my family, I have passion and love in my heart for the Lord. On my social media, anywhere I am, I'm showing love for the Lord, all the way to the grave and up to heaven. That's essentially what it means to have biblical love. But we can define that a little bit more. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 tells us that our lives are sacrifices 
to God. And that's something that people should see because love is an actionable thing. Love is something that can be observed and love is something that has a great benefit to us as a local congregation of the Lord's people. Ultimately, because love produces all these other good traits and all these other good qualities, nothing else will suffice as a root or as a core or as a source of these good things except for love. So we establish together that we need love and we need biblical love, but what does that mean exactly? Well, I think first and foremost, it's easier to talk about what love is not. First and foremost, biblical love is not simply obedience. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 18. Biblical love is not simply doing all the right things and checking off all the right boxes religiously and seeming religious. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8 now. Verse 8. Verse 8 now. Sorry. Verse 8. This people... Honors me with their lips. It's verse 8. The, the PowerPoint's wrong. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This is coming, speaking about the Pharisees um, and their attitude that they had toward God and toward Christ. Yeah, the Pharisees were, if, any, if you could ask anyone, they were the most religious people walking the streets. They had their long phylacteries and they loved the greetings in the marketplaces and so on and so on. We're familiar with the attitude of the Pharisees. But is it possible that we could fall into the same trap as the Pharisees? Well, if we think that love is just obedience to God, well, then we're mistaken. Because that is not what love is. And I'm convinced that Satan is working right now at this very moment to mar our perception of what love is into thinking that as long as we look religious, that we love God. That that's what, that's what we're here to do. He's prowling like a lion to convince us of that. And he may not, and I'll tell you why that is. I'll tell you why that is. Because Satan probably is not going to be able to convince the majority of us that are sitting here in the pews tonight that this is not where we need to be. That these religious actions are what, what we, are what we should not be taking. He's probably not going to convince us of that. And why is that? Because at this point, these things have become pretty comfortable to us to come here and to be here. And, have, and Satan is all about giving people the easy way out, the easiest way out, the most pleasurable way. And if Satan can convince you that you can profess to be a Christian, that you can outwardly show all the signs of being a Christian, but not have the love of God within your heart and you're A-OK, well, then he's going to do that. That would be a better option for him anyway, because if there's a bunch of people claiming to be Christians running around the world, professing his name, polluting his name with their lack of love and their faithless hearts, well, then he's won. He's won those people, and he's going to win a lot more people than rather than if we just kept our mouths shut to begin with and never professed the name of Christ. So Satan's trying to win people over to think, all i got to do is check these boxes and look religious. But I'm going to tell you this, love is not checking these boxes and just looking obedient. There's more to love than that. And it's important, if Satan's doing all this, to disturb and disrupt our understanding of love to get a proper understanding of that. So again, what is love not? Luke chapter 6 and verse 32 now. Luke chapter 6 and verse 32. Jesus said here in Luke chapter 6 and verse 32, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. You know, love isn't always an easy thing. It's very easy for me to love people who love me back. It's very easy for me to love someone who has something to give me or when I have something to garner from it. 
If I think I'm going to be benefited, I can act like I love someone all day. But that's not real love. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 now. I'm going to tell you something else that love is not. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. We read, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We ought, And it's true. Love is an emotion. Love is a feeling that we have. But the question is, is love just an emotional high and an emotional peak and a passion and an impassioned feeling that comes and goes? No, it is not. Love remains even when that emotional high dies down. It persists within us and it abides and we abide in love. So love is not simply emotions. Finally, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 now. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, Paul said, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So we read here that love is not an all-tolerant thing. Love does not permit sin. Love is not going to give the okay to sin. And love isn't going to just simply tolerate behavior that leads to damnation and to destruction, but rather that love is going to speak the truth. So there is a degree of love that is tough, that is hard sometimes. So ultimately, if if we look at this list here and we say, I think I have love, is it possible that we could be mistaken at times? Is it possible that we could... We could come to the Lord on the day of judgment and we could say, yes, I have no doubt I had a love for you in my heart. And he says, I don't even know who you are. Depart from me. I think that's possible. I think we could be fought. We could fall into those traps because other men did the same in the past. We see the Pharisees and we often scoff at them like they're cartoon villains. But they were people just like me and you that are subject to the temptation of the devil. And so we need to focus and pay attention so that we don't fall into these same traps. Start thinking that as long as we follow the rules, as long as we follow the rules, that means we love God. As long as things are easy and comfortable if we do what's right, but as soon as we get an excuse, we start acting hateful, that that means we love God. If If we think love is this emotional high that comes and goes and we think that means that we love God, that's not true either. If we think that love is is an all tolerant thing that's permissive of sin, then we might be mistaken. So we need to know what love actually is. So what really is love? Now I'm going to avoid the baby don't hurt me right here. I kind of just said it. Well, what is love? Love is an attitude. And love translates into, is translated from agape, which can be translated as charity. That's the Greek word agape, which means sacrifice or charity. Love is a willingness to sacrifice. John chapter 15 and verse 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, I believe that this sacrificial love of which Jesus speaks is the binding agent in the institution of the church. You know, worldly institutions and most of the world, what makes the world go round? It's money. It's the dollar bill. That's what makes the world go round. We've heard that phrase before. Most of these businesses are rooted in Well, if I do my job, I'm going to get paid, and that's what keeps everything in order. But it's not so in the church. We're bound by something much more powerful. So I'm going to ask you guys a couple of questions of how does walking in love bring about unity in the church? And I'm going to use two metaphors and then one just go-home statement that I think is going to help us understand love a little bit better. The first metaphor is that love is glue. Love is like glue. And why is that? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14. We're told, 
Above all these, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14, put on love, which, key in here, binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is what's binding us. Our fellowship, together with God, exists only in love. Fellowship is a very important biblical doctrine that's often minimized in different ways, especially out in the world, but also within the church, I think. I understand that it's easier to think about fellowship in some of these ways. We think about fellowship as we're just all getting together and we're just hanging out and we're just chilling and having a good time. We think about fellowship as we're going to have a meal together. Or we think about fellowship as, well, we're all believing the same thing, so that means fellowship. Or we think of, we think of well, we all go to a, a church that has Church of Christ out in the sign, so that means that we are all in fellowship. And we think those things, but, and we think that, oh, we go to church together, so that means that we have fellowship together, but not quite. Now, certainly all these things go into fellowship, but truly, fellowship is the relationship that we have that comes ultimately from love. And so what's that relationship like? If you turn in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4, I think we can, we can determine what that relationship, what that fellowship is like if we look in 1 Corinthians 13 and we ask, well, what does love do? What does love look like? You know, I used to read this passage and I thought, this is just a list of, of generic qualities that someone has, but I think they're actionable. They're very actionable things. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Now, that means that we're going to handle each other with gentleness, with mercy, and that we're going to forbear with one another, just as has been preached before in, in this meeting. That we're not going to, in a difficult situation, jump to conclusions. That we're not going to aggress one another. Be it, no matter what that's upset, upset us, be it a comment that we might take the wrong way, a missed handshake, or how do you do in the foyer, or whatever it may be, whatever offense or difficulty, that we're going to handle that with those qualities that have already been discussed in the lessons before of gentleness and meekness and humility and forbearance. Also, love does not envy or boast, moving along in the passage. That means that we're going to hope the best for our brethren out of love. Envy is going to be that feeling when I see someone do something great or do something awesome or someone get something that I want and I say, hmm, I wish they didn't have that. I wish I had it. I'm the one that deserves that. I wish that would be taken away from them and be given to me. And we wish that we were in the station that someone else had or when someone has an accomplishment, we say, man, I wish that I could have had that accomplishment instead. And that's not an attitude of love. But also, boasting is the opposite. Whenever we have an accomplishment, or we have something that's good, or we have something that's grand, and we lord that over everybody else, like, look at how much better I am. Look at how superior I am. And then, when we do that, that's not loving either. No, rather, rather love sees everyone as they are, a soul. A soul worth a son to God. Love is not arrogant or rude, moving along in the passage now. This portion goes back to the attitude of gentleness and respect. Again, that's been preached already, as well as employing that certain degree of modesty and of humility that I'm not going to just try to run over people. Again, continuing in the passage, it does not insist on its own way. That means that love is not a forceful thing. It doesn't bully people. It doesn't bulldoze people into doing the right thing or or doing what, what it desires. Rather, that love will earnestly and patiently work with someone to get them to the point where they want to do what is right and they want to obey God. It is not irritable or resentful. 
That means that we're not going to hang on to hard feelings. Yeah, we're a family. We're happy family. But even happy families aren't happy all the time. We're going to fight and we're going to fuss sometimes. You can ask Josh to work together in that preacher training program. There's going to be difficulties that happen. And what are we going to do? How are we going to react? Well, we're not going to be irritable with one another. We're not going to be resentful. But rather, we're going to love one another through that. Verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Again, this tough love stuff. Love is not afraid to correct a brother or sister that is drifting away from the Lord. It is simply not. And that means that we're going to employ a little bit of difficult teaching at times. And that we're going to kind of grab someone when they're headed in the wrong direction. And that we're going to teach the truth to one another and lift one another up in that way. And ultimately though... Love bears all things, verse 7, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And you can just chuck a one another after that. We bear one another, all of our burdens. We believe in one another. We hope good things for one another. And we endure with one another. Love is an eternal thing that persists. It's persistent. It's tenacious. And it keeps going. Love works in us at the assembly. It works when we're teaching one another when we're serving one another outside of the assembly and inside, in every handshake, in every hug, and in every smile that we engage in with one another, love ought to be there. Love is why we care to ask questions like, how are you doing? We don't, we don't do that out of tradition. How are you doing? Do you need any help? What can I do for you? Those kind of questions is a result of love, which causes us to do the right thing. And guess what? This is almost common sense, but when we do the right thing to and for one another again and again and again and again, and we do that out of earnest love, and that's visible and that's obvious and that's something we can see, well then what does that do? That glues us all together. It brings us closer. Because there's a sense where we have unity right now. That's true. We have unity. We have fellowship. But there's another sense where we're still being unified more and more as we grow closer and closer in the Lord. And that's a process. And in that process, sometimes what happens is we get a little bit tired. We get a little bit broken down. Maybe even we stumble a little bit. And we feel like, man, you know, we're not going to make it. And as we grow closer, that's what happens. So what do we do then? Well, it's a good thing then that this second thing is true, that love is a battery. Now, how is love like a battery, you're asking me? Now, I'll tell you, love is really powerful. Just like a battery, it has so much energy to move things. Love is immensely powerful, and I'll show you. It keeps us going even when things look impossible or incredibly difficult. Now, love is really, really important. And I'll tell you why. Because without love, heaven is impossible. Heaven is absolutely impossible without love. We could never make it. It's too, it's too far. It really is. You look at this earth, and you see... Man, we are a far ways from heaven here on this earth. Am I right? We see a lot of sin, a lot of darkness here in this earth. And we think, man, I could never reach up to heaven. And the truth is, on your own, you couldn't. But with love, when we're told to run the race, and we're feeling, man, I'm starting to lose my breath a little bit. I don't know if I can make this last lap. I don't know if I can even finish this race. I don't know. I don't know. We feel that love, and we catch that second wind, and we burst. Toward the finish line. When we're fighting the good fight like we're told to, and we're headed toward that final round, and we're saying, Coach, I can't do this. Just throw in the towel. I can't do it. I'm, bu- I'm battered. I'm bloody. I can't go out there. That guy's an animal. Da, 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 da. And then love says, No, you know what? I can do it. I can do it. Hold that towel. I'm going in. That's what love does for us. 
it gives us the ability to carry on more and more. If you look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'll show you why we need love. And I'll show you why it can be so difficult at times. And I think you'll agree with me. 2 Timothy chapter 3 paints the picture of what it's like out there, man. What it's like out in the world. And what it's like running this race and fighting this fight. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Understand this. That in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Starting in verse 1. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What do people out in the world love? What do sinful people love? It's a lesson about love. What do they love? They love their sin. Because they don't know anything different. They're in it. They're consumed by it. And we can fall into the same category without love. Because I think love is antithetical to sin. But we're not, we're not strong enough to overcome that sin on our own. That's why we have love. Love is so powerful. Now I'll show you that in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. Just to start there. It's going to be a one-two punch here with these two verses to show you how powerful love really is. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And that is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now this passage is referring to our faith in Jesus Christ. But again, as we discussed earlier, what is that faith without 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 1 through 3? What is that faith... Without love, Paul's going to tell us here. Paul said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We're charged to have this faith. This faith that overcomes the world and to root that faith in love and to let love be the source of that faith. And we can't do it without love because love is so powerful. I'm going to tell you, when you're tired in the morning, when you're wondering, should I just hit the snooze button and not come to services? Should I just sleep in? I I can just call in and tell somebody I've got a headache or I'm sick or something. I can just, and then you just say, no. I love those people there and I want to encourage them. And I'm going to be there. And I love the Lord. And you come anyway, that is powerful. Whatever you're maybe not 100% sure of what you're going to say to that brother or sister. They, they're kind of, they're kind of got their head in their hands and they're sad and they're heartbroken over something. You don't know what. You don't really know what to say. But you go up and you just say, hey, are you okay? And you just say something. That's powerful. When you offer time out of your day. Even if it's busy. Even if it's a whirlwind of things that are going on. And you just take a little bit of time to pray for your fellow members of the church. That's powerful, and that's love. When brethren are acting all kinds of unlovable and being just seemingly impossible to love, and you say, I'm just going to do it anyway. That is so powerful. Whenever we sacrifice for one another, we access the great and the amazing power of love that truly is limitless. And we can see that. And we can see that, that it doesn't matter if we start getting tired as we're being brought together in the bond of peace, because we have this battery that we can draw upon that allows us to continue to grow closer and closer in that bond. Again, I'll show you that. I'll show you that and I'll bring to memory 2018. 
was a good year, was it not? It was blessed. Many good things happened for me, I can say that. And I think for all of us, it was a pretty good year. But, but for some of us, there were some parts of it, no doubt, that were very, very difficult. Look at the way that love shined through every trial that we saw. I think of multiple invitations where people were sick with sin and they came forward for the cure. Do you remember those? I remember those in 2018. I, I, I think of familial troubles that different people had where they were in conflict with their families and that love was able to shine through those situations and remind them of who they were. I think of admonitions that did not fall on deaf ears. I think of even a brother that lost his life, but that we rallied together around and showed immense love that encouraged us all, but awaits now a crown of glory, in part, I think, because of the love that was shown to him by all of us. And to be a part of that is so humbling. And in large part... That is so powerful. That is so powerful because we have overcome so much together here in 2018, here now in 2019. And that we have this love that shows us that even when we feel like we're on E, when we're on that 1% left of our battery, when we've been battered on all sides and we feel like there's nowhere to go, that we just get that second wind and we just keep going and we keep fighting and we keep believing and we keep doing what's right. Love gives us the strength to do the right thing even when it's hard. So if you have any doubt of where love can take us, just take a look around. Because we're all still here. And I hope that everyone here is still loving the Lord with all their heart. I think then that it should be without doubt that love ultimately will be the ark that carries us to the final step of this race all together in the bond of peace. If we want to be there, we can. We have no excuse because we're glued together in this. We have the energy to do it from the battery and we can make it. And I'm going to tell you why we can make it. Because we're going to, we're, we have this goal of being in heaven with God. And that is so, so powerful. And why is that? Love gets us to heaven because ultimately, God is love. God is love. All this, all this is nothing without God. All this is just a big show without God. Our love for one another is because of God's love. First John chapter 4 and verse 20 now. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, if you'll read with me there. John had a lot to say about love. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. This is a very powerful statement. And I think this is applicable to all of us here in this congregation. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So you see, I have no excuse not to try to grow closer with you all. Not to try to be unified with you all. And not to keep going even when I feel like I'm out of energy. And keep trying and keep growing. And keep loving more and more. Because if I don't do that, then I cannot say that I love God. And God has given me everything that's good in my life. Including all of you. So that is my motivation. God's love is our motivation. And God's love is behind everything that we know that is good. And everything that we hold dear is undergirded by God's truth and by His Word and by His message and His love. Jesus said, if you love me, remember Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands in John chapter 14 and verse 15. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. But you know what He didn't say? He didn't say, if you, He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. He didn't say, if you keep my commands, well then that means that you love me. He didn't say, if you keep my commands, that means that you love me. And so there's a nuance there. And there's a sense that we can get the wagon before the horse where we start thinking, I'm going to do all these religious things and I'm going to do all the right things 
And then that's slowly going to make me love God more and more and more. The more religious stuff I do, the more I'm going to love God. And there might be a nugget of truth in there. Yeah, if you come to Bible class, you're going to learn some things that are going to inspire love within you for sure. But where is the motivation for coming to Bible class? It's not so that one day maybe I can have love for God. No, it's 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because this is why. This is why we do everything that we do here because God is love. That's the goal that we're all working toward together. That's everything. That's what we're doing. Every prayer, every song, every Bible class, every word of encouragement, everything good that we do is ultimately because of who God is. When we talk first principles, when we talk first doctrines of the Bible, what do we stress? Well, we talk about authority. We talk about biblical authority. That's really important. It is. We talk about divorce, marriage, and remarriage. We talk about water, baptism. We talk about all these things. But then it's like we've forgotten that love is a first principle. It's like we've forgotten that love is the first principle. That it's going to be the first principle and that it's going to be the last principle that we're held to. That love is the ultimate undergirding doctrine of everything in the Bible. Let's not get the cart before the horse. We can know all these Bible things, but if we don't have love for God, it's useless. It's just scholarship, not discipleship. And we got to have that love for God. And why is that? Because he first loved us. He first loved us so much that he sent Jesus the Christ. And this is the best place to start if you want to develop a love for God. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus Christ. He was the perfect manifestation of God's love. He showed love wherever he went. And he showed love all the way up the hill of Calvary to his death. We see that perfect love on full display. We see Jesus living and dying by what he said. Greater love has no man than this. To lay down his life for his friends. He did that very thing. He gave up his life. That is everything on this earth that he ever had. And everything that he ever could be on this earth. Short of resurrection. He gave that for us. But the Lord in his steadfast mercy. God the Father raised Jesus Christ. To show us even further love. That not only am I going to die for you. But I'm going to perform this amazing act of resurrection. To show you. And he did that. So these words that Jesus spoke, greater love has no man than this, to lay down the life for, to lay down his life for his friends are fully echoed. And that shows us that we need Christ. We need someone who's going to die for us. We need God the Father who's going to raise him up and who will raise us up. We need his lot. We need his love. We need the kind of love that walks up that hill and dies in faith for Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to ask you this seriously. As a local congregation, what makes this a church of Christ? Now, if I asked you this outside of this lesson, a lot of you are going to say, well, this is the church of Christ because that's what we call ourselves. That's what it says out on the sign. That's what the Bible says we're supposed to call ourselves. That's not the answer I'm looking for. Well, a lot of people are going to say, well, we believe that water baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. That's what makes us a church of Christ. Or we say that it's our doctrines on divorce, marriage, and remarriage, and the way that we pray and the way that we do the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. That's what makes us a church of Christ. But I'm going to tell you this. Those things matter. Those things do go into what it means to be a church of Christ. But ultimately, what makes us 
a church of Christ is that we have access to God's love. That we love one another. And that that love gives us the strength to carry on. That love is going to carry us through everything that we do. That love simply is is eternal. And what that means is that it's not our acapella singing. And it's not our it's not our doctrines, it's not our beliefs that really make us a church of Christ. At the, at our core, what makes us a church of Christ is that we have the love of Christ coming into us and flowing out of us toward one another. That love means that we're not just we're not just farmers, we're not just call center workers, we're not just physical therapists, we're not just teachers, we're not preachers, we're not just uncles and sons and daughters and wives and husbands and this or that, but that ultimately love is what makes us Christians. And that's what allows us to say, I am a Christian. And finally, in culmination, I've got to ask you, do you love God? Do you really love God? If you do, it's true. You'll do what he asked. You will keep his commandments. And he's given a very specific instruction for those that have love for him. To obey him. To believe his word. To have faith in his word. To trust enough to confess that belief. To repent of sin. To say, I don't love those anymore. I'm not going to be like the world. I'm going to let go of my sins. I'm going to turn my love to the Lord. And to finally die with Christ in that perfect act of love. To be risen with him in the waters of baptism. And that's how you become a Christian. But for all of us that are Christians, I want to encourage you now. I want to be, and this might sound a little weird, but I don't care. I want to be unified to you all. I want to grow closer and closer. And I can't do that if you're letting sin dominate your life. So I'm encouraging you all to respond, if it's your time, to respond now to the invitation of Jesus Christ, the invitation of the Lord, to come, to show your love as we stand and as we sing.